Hey Cole, as you know, it's been a really long week for me, so I don't really have anything funny to say. So the only thing I'm going to say about this week's movie is the following. Undead, lesbian, cheerleaders. Yes. Welcome, everybody, to Second to Die, a horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. And this week, I'm hitting you with the the really hard horror in the form of the 2013 movie All Cheerleaders Die. All right. Yeah, it's pretty good. It is directed and written by Lucky McKee and Chris Siverston. Siverston? I think one of those is right. It is actually a remake, but it is a remake of a low-budget film of the same name by the same directors. They also wrote it. So essentially what happened is they did this movie in 2001, super, super low budget, and it went straight to DVD and became very, very difficult to find. And in fact, I was going to watch that one for this, but could not find it myself. And upon learning this, the two of them basically decided to get more funding and do their own slightly higher budget remake of it. Interesting. Is it like the same script and everything? I don't know that. I don't know if it's exactly the same or just a souped up version. And like I said, I couldn't, I was going to maybe try to watch both of them, but I just like, I literally could not even find a trailer online for the low budget original one. Jesus. Yeah. The byline is you can't kill their spirit. And in the trailer, I just thought it was funny because I did watch the trailer for this. It says they're young. They're beautiful. They're back from the dead. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's one of those movies. It's it's pretty good. Only interesting fact I have to share about it is that one of the film locations was Cathedral High School in Los Angeles. Its athletes are nicknamed the Phantoms because the school is built on top of an old pre-1900s cemetery. And that rarely works out in anyone's favor. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it so much, though. Yeah. That's like the real life thing, though. Like, God, I wonder if that school is haunted. Probably. My work is haunted. Let's talk about how my the security gates at my work went off for like an hour reading a book that had with, been withdrawn a long time ago. Oh, yeah. I remember you talking about that. Just like over and over again. It was like a book called They Fought Like Demons. But I bet you like a library ghost would be really cute and kind of nice. Like the type of ghost that chooses to haunt a library. There's a library i think it's like in vermont maybe i don't know um that's supposedly haunted and they have a 24-hour camera stream set up hmm. in a portion of their library i'm i'm convinced that the library i work in is haunted 100 percent. i it's think there's be. a ghostbusters scene in a library it's been a long time since i saw that movie anyway off track off track this is not a ghost story this is kind of a zombie story depends what your definitions of the undead are but We'll get, I'm just going to jump right into it because there's not a lot to cover, but it's kind of fun. So whatever. So we open up with a montage of clips of this girl, Alexis. By the way, this movie loves a fucking montage. Um, I think you mean Alexis. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, so she's played by Felicia Cooper. They call her Lexi. She's not really a main character in this. She actually dies in this opening scene. She's basically this bitchy cheerleader and she's, like, weirdly, like, 
porny in the way that she acts and stuff. And it's being filmed by her friend, Maddie. And so it's like about the daily life of a cheerleader, blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, let me watch me do this routine. They throw her up. She lands on her head and her neck snaps and she dies. And that's like the intro to the movie. That, that sounds like a great time. Weirdly enough, I don't actually find, in retrospect, I don't find this scene very important to the movie, but we'll continue. So it flashes to three months later, and the cheerleaders are finally having tryouts to replace Lexi. Because what else are you going to do? You need a full squad. So Maddie is trying out. And Maddie, who was the girl making the thing and Lexi's friend, isn't really the cheerleader type. It's not that she's not gorgeous, because of course she is. But she's kind of mousy, so like she could never be a cheerleader. Oh, she's got brown hair. She does have brown hair. (laughs) She's got brown hair. Does she maybe have like a slightly oversized sweater and some glasses? She definitely is the least sluttiest of them for now. Okay. Also, please note, gentle listener, I have dark brown hair, glasses, and I love slightly oversized sweaters. Also, when I say slutty, I do not mean that in a derogatory term. I mean that in the highest of compliments. Whatever the fuck you want. Be slutty. I love it. Anyway. Nobody. <laughs> I'm getting a little bit old for, for the slutty phase, but like I would totally. Yeah, you know, whatever. Anyway. Okay. Ultimately, Maddie ends up making the team because while being mousy, she is, of course, gorgeous. And we wouldn't have a movie if she didn't. So, but it turns out we learned this. We learned that um, Maddie was making a video diary where this is all just a ruse where she's basically infiltrating the cheerleading squad to figure out what happened with Lexi. And I guess maybe she thinks that Lexi was like purposely killed or something, which seems intense for high school, but not out of the realm of possibility. It's very showgirls. Mm-hmm. Yes. She also, Maddie also has this girl. Uh, it's an ex-girlfriend. Maddie's a lesbian named Lena, who is a level three stalker who shows up to Maddie's house and is like, we need to talk. And Maddie's like, what do we need to talk about? She's like, we need to talk about Madeline here. And it's a cat that Lena had bought and named after Maddie. Oh, no. So she's like color guard with those red flags, right? She's just like, hey, girl. Woo, woo, woo. And Maddie's like, um, no, you need to go. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Yes. Lena is also super witchy. She's like really pale and wears like a lot of eyeliner and uh, wears kind of like weird clothes and has black hair. I'm glad that we're playing into all the stereotypes here. Yes. And a lesbian, obviously. And her witchiness comes into play. It's a central focus of this movie. So Maddie is out trying to get her revenge on the cheerleading squad and on her secret mission. So the first thing she does is she finds Tracy, who... Tracy is actually one of the funniest characters in this whole movie. She is now dating Lexi's boyfriend. So Lexi's been dead for three months. So the boyfriend's been single for three months. It seems like an okay time to move on. His name is Terry. Terry is gross and heinous. But Maddie decides that she's going to set out to break them up. Maddie turns out to have a grudge on Terry. I'll explain it later when it comes up. I don't like it at all. So anyways, there's a party. Because there's always parties in this movie. Actually, there's multiple parties in this movie. Where basically... Maddie and Tracy are hanging out, and Maddie tells Tracy that, like, Terry, like, cheated on her or something. I don't know. It's, like, some stupid thing. So then Tracy's like, I'm going to have to break up with Terry. And then Terry and Maddie start making out in the car. This movie has a lot of lesbian-isms. A lot of lesbian moments in it. I like it. Lesbian. I should be a lesbian. Yeah. 
And Lena sees them making out. She's not super thrilled about that because, you know, she's a stalker, but it is what it is. Okay, so the next party scene that we're at is this, like, bonfire situation. And Terry is, like, super acting toxically masculine and decides to make a... Oh, Terry also sees them making out. And so he makes this rule that football players can't date cheerleaders. So Tracy, probably my favorite character in this whole movie. She's, like, the blonde, like, kind of, like, high-energy, like... Sort of ditzy, but in a great way. Yeah. Uh, cheerleader. She's like, she's like, you know what? That's totally cool. I won't even say you have a small dick because that would be predictable. But it isn't big. And and then she's basically also like, and you know what else? Only three people in my life have ever made me come. And you're not one of them. <laughs> Essentially is what she says. And oh, so, my. I know. So what is a guy to do with a sassy mouth, spunky girl like her? Well, Terry um, punches her in the face and knocks her out cold, of course. Category is toxic masculinity. Violence doesn't solve your problems, but it sure makes them go away. Anyways, so that's obviously not cool. And nobody's really cool with it, but nobody does anything with it. Like about it. Like the rest of the football team is like, "Uh uh-oh. And the other girls are like, are you guys not going to do something? He just punched a girl in the face. And the other football players are like, no, we're scared of Terry. And so then they just all let it slide, which seems really weird. You should probably stand up for people and not let that shit go. But they don't. So then somehow this all ends up in a car chase where the football team like decides to chase after the the cheerleaders. I think because what kind of happens is they're like, we're going to tell on you. We're going to call the police. And like Terry's like high school career is going to be over. And so they don't want that to happen. So they're chasing them in a car. And the cheerleaders end up driving like too fast and it's too dark. And they end up driving off a cliff into a river and dying. All right. Okay. Lena finds them. Somehow, luckily, their bodies have washed up on shore. So all of the bodies are dead, but they're there, not in the car that was overturning the river, whatever. We'll, we'll let that slide for now. Where is the body? Well, they're all conveniently placed in the circles where they are. <laughs> God. <laughs> so, so then Lena, the witchy one. She was not in the car with them. So she finds them and she ends up taking, I cannot even say this with a straight face. She ends up using her crystals to bring them all back to life. I am not even joking. Oh boy. This came out before that was like a joke though. True. Yes, true. But she does use her crystals. So she like uses her crystals and then some blood and like essentially what happens is a crystal goes into each of the girls' bodies and they resurrect and then Lena has this th- those are green crystals and then a purple crystal goes into Lena's chest and like I don't know what the fucking the situation is but they all come back to life okay and it all goes pretty well except for there are two sisters Martha and Hannah and they swap bodies <laughs> why I don't know but they do no real reason just for fun exactly. And so then they all wake up and they're like, oh, my God, we're alive. This is weird. And then Tracy is like, I'm really hungry. So she like in her underwear runs across the street and finds this neighbor and they all go after her. And then they end up killing the neighbor and like drinking his blood and eating his essence. And he ends up turning into like this withered husk. And that's how they kind of introduce the fact that these girls now need life force to survive. Okay. So then the girls are also like, we need to go to school. (laughs) And, uh. One of them is like, we're not going to school because, you know, they're dead. And she's like, no, 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 we're going to go to school. And so they do go. And the football players are there like hitting on the freshman girls, except this one player, Vic, who's like 
kind of super bummed out about the whole fact about like, you know, killing all the cheerleaders and stuff. So he's going to go and talk to the school administrator because he wants to tell him what happened, like the rat that he is. But then all of a sudden, all the cheerleaders walk into the hallway and it's like one of those great sort of like, kind of like how, like the craft, honestly, where, yes. yeah, it's like the walking down the hall with the music playing and it's kind of like the slow and they look all like fierce and slutty. And the song that plays is Look Out Young Son by Grand Old Party. Literally one of my favorite songs. I'm going to play a little bit for you. And I'm going to show you a picture of what they're wearing because it's like cheerleader uniforms, question mark. Oh my God, I'm so excited. So look at the picture I'm sending you and then think of them walking down to this song. I can see it. So yeah, I love that song. That song, by the way, if people are interested, is Look Out Young Son by Grand Old Party. Fantastic song. Actually, fantastic band in general. So they do that killer like walk-in scene. And I'm sure we'll, if we remember, we'll post that picture. But basically, they're wearing super kind of slutty cheerleader outfits with like knee-high boots, which I don't think are probably part of the uniform, but they work real well. I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. So then there's kind of like these, (laughs) there's weird scenes. I'm just going to kind of describe some of these scenes that are worth describing. So what I didn't mention about the whole like, Hannah Martha situation is that Hannah was the younger sister and Martha was the older sister and super hot but super Jesus-y right and she had this kind of boyfriend that was always lusting after her but she would never do anything but Hannah was in Martha's body now so Hannah takes the boyfriend into the bathroom and decides to fuck him in the handicap stall and the boyfriend is like it's their first time he's like you really want our first time to be in the handicap stall and she's like "Uh uh-huh and then she's also like Call me Hannah, which is, of course, the little sister's name. Oh, no. But the best part about that whole scene is that, so they're dead, right? So that, like, she's, like, on top of him, and he goes, oh, it's it's really cold. Is it supposed to be cold? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no. And then, but I think it was his first time, too. And then when he's talking to his friends later, he's like, I was all up in that sweet, sweet freezer. And the friend goes, freezer? And he goes, yeah. It, yeah, you know how it's like all cold and stuff? <laughs> Let me tell you, listeners, it is not supposed to be cold up in anyone's freezer. I am so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So there's kind of some funny scenes like that. So ultimately, Terry, the toxic football jock, thinks that something is suspicious and kind of notices Lena with her, like, you know, crystals and shit. And she puts them in the locker for some weird reason. So he goes and steals them. Then some infighting amongst the girls starts when Tracy finds the video of Maddie talking about her devious plans to infiltrate the cheerleaders and kind of like making them making like fun of the other cheerleaders. It doesn't go well. And Maddie tries to salvage the situation by being like, Tracy, that was like a week ago. I didn't even know you back then. Tracy does not buy that. (laughs) God, I love it. Girl, that was like forever ago. I was a bitch last week. I'm like totally different this week. So... So then this is the part where we realize why Maddie really has a problem with Terry, which I guess content warning for 15 seconds. It turns out that after Lexi died, Maddie was filming a tribute tribute video and went over to Terry's house and he raped her. Literally has no reason to be in this movie. And I honestly wish they hadn't included it because the whole I mean, there was enough of a plot point of like 
trying to infiltrate the squad to figure out if something weird happened with Lexi that like there was no reason for her to have that grudge with Terry. It just doesn't make any sense. No. And it, they've made Terry a bad enough person as it is. It's just extra at this point. Right. And he the his whole character is like the worst of the worst, but like he fucking punched a girl in the face. Like I think that's enough to do something bad to him. Okay. So then So then okay. Terry kidnaps Hannah and like cuts the crystal out of her because keep in mind these green crystals have gone into these women yeah cuts the crystal out of her and then swallows it and hannah dies and terry gets powers okay then we get into the final confrontation part of this film jesus (laughs) yes terry and this other football guy kidnap martha martha kills one of them but then terry ultimately is able to overpower her and eats her crystal as well so he's got like double power so he has double power then he kind of sets a trap that Tracy falls into and she dies. It's th- That part is like insanely stupid. I'm not even going to talk about it. So, okay. The real final, final confrontation. Terry finds Lena and is demanding that she show him how the crystals work. Because it's like, you don't have a Barnes & Noble, dude. They got a whole fucking section on that. But no. And Lena's like, no, I'm not going to. So then Terry like stabs her a little bit in the back, but not enough to like actually kill her. And then he's on top of Lena. and But before Terry can kill Lena, Maddie comes out of nowhere and like knocks him off and that also knocks the bag of crystals that he had stolen from around his neck and so lena grabs the crystals and then she does some some crystal magic and the crystals like spin around in the air and basically like rip the crystals out of terry but also out of maddie and it kills them both oh no and so then lena runs over to maddie and lets out this like long death shriek like really like banshee style which causes one of the crystals to go back into like maddie's chest and bring her back to life so then maddie is back to life and then they share a passionate lesbian kiss on screen together which is lovely however it is interrupted as a blood-soaked hand erupts out of terry's body and then this like zombie entity that i think was a girl actually like comes out and screams lena and lena goes oh shit and then it ends and it cuts to the credits and it goes, all cheerleaders die, part one. So the one, then what do I do? I quickly Google all cheerleaders die, part two. Part two does not exist. And I see nothing about it being in the works. So we just don't know. That's fucking rude. Yes. So, so that's the movie. Final thoughts. It is actually kind of a cute movie. I thought the first part of it, I was like, it's a little jumbled. Like the way that it's edited is a little jumbled and I wasn't like love loving it for a minute, but I did ultimately find it pretty entertaining. There's some good lines in it. Like sweet, sweet freezer, like sweet, sweet freezer. There's also a part where when the girls go back to the school, Terry is flirting with some freshman girls and Maddie goes up to him as he's like trying to like Mac on these girls and is like, Oh, Hey Terry, how's your hand? And like the freshman girls like look all quizzical and he's like, Oh, he punched his ex-girlfriend in the face last night. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And then there's another part where Tracy, like, goes out. Tracy ends up killing this, like, stoner kid on the football team who has this van that he smokes pot in. And they go to the van. And he's like, there's two rules. There's two things you need to know about my van. One, there's always a weed stash. Two, it's never locked. And then she goes in. And I don't know why, but it, I thought it was funny because she goes, and three, it smells like dick. And I do not think she meant in a good way oh boy because fresh dick can smell lovely but sour dick does not smell lovely oh we're not no Mm -mm. 
Is it really an episode of Second to Die if we don't mention Dick at least once? Anyway, the only other kind of negative I thought of besides the whole kind of like edit sort of weird jumbleness. Oh, and the whole like unnecessary rape thing is that the crystals, the crystal thing was a lot. And it was also accompanied by really kind of like cheesy special effects. I was giving it the benefit of the doubt. The movie's not that old, but it looks like maybe it's a little bit older than it is. Either way, all in all, it's kind of a good watch. It's pretty campy, so that's kind of cool. It's not hysterical. It's not as funny to me as like Jennifer's body was. And the only reason I make that comparison is because the theme is very similar, obviously. Yeah. It's in, I mean, and Tamara. Honestly, I think the the whole like resurrected pretty girl in high school is kind of a genre almost, you know. Yeah. Comes back less mousy. Yeah. But this is, this is, I mean, honestly, like you could do a night of like resurrected high school girls. And if you do do that, I would include this. It's good. All cheerleaders die. Anyways. That's my movie. Now tell me what you're going to talk about. All right, Peaches. I have been both dreading and looking forward to this episode. Looking forward to it because I've had to keep my feelings inside until the episode and dreading because this was a rough one. So this week, I will be telling you about the extremely controversial cult classic Let's Go Play at the Adams by Mendel W. Johnson. Before I go forward... With all of this, I'm just going to go ahead and give a blanket content warning. This book has abuse and sexual assault and misogyny and racism all laced throughout the entire thing. And like none of it can be made lighter with jokes. Like I have a couple of quippy jokes about silly things, but the serious stuff is very serious. So I'm probably not going to give specific content warnings as I go because I would basically have to give a content warning every other sentence. Um, So if you want to skip this episode, I completely understand. I hope you'll come back to me next week. If you're sticking around, buckle up, gentle listener, because you're not going to feel so gentle by the time we're done here. Yikes. Yep. Let's take a look at the cover. Your eyes are actually drawn from the actual picture at first because the door on the left with all the text draws the eye immediately. Then you see the girl in the background tied to a chair, eyes wide with panic. There is no artist or designer credited for this cover. (laughs) Honestly, when I first saw it, that's exactly what I saw was the kind of like weird block lettering. And I was like, that looks like a Hardy Boys novel or something. And then I saw the girl tied up and I was like, oh, I didn't, I must not have read that one though. Yeah. No. I did read the Hardy Boys, though. I was not an Nancy Drew kid. I was a Hardy Boys kid. I read one Hardy Boys book, and I hated it. <laughs> Still don't like mysteries. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a look at the Barb. They're just kids. It's only a game. That's what Barbara, a lovely, we have to call her lovely, a lovely 20-year-old babysitter told herself when she woke up bound and gagged. But the knots were tight and painful, and the children will not let her go. They're just kids. It's only a game, she told herself again. But the terror is real and deadly. Hmm. The tagline on the front says, Tonight, the kids are taking care of the babysitter. This is weird. It's all down here. It's all downhill from here. So, before we get really into this, I'm going to go ahead and spoil my rating. Reading this was honestly the most unpleasant reading experience I have ever had. Yikes. Full stop. Yikes. That includes things for school. 
Yikes. Full stop. Um, you may disagree. That's totally fine. Your opinions are yours. My opinions are mine. Please don't come at me with the, this is an unappreciated classic. That sort of thing. It's not an unappreciated classic. You're an edgelord. It's fine. It is a paperback from hell, though. It is a paperback from hell. The main reason they wanted to make it a paperback from hell is because, like, when they released that line, is because it had become such a cult classic that copies were selling for, like, $600. Oh, wow. Yeah. Everybody wanted it because it got banned in some countries. Oh. And everyone was like, I want to read this, like, super edgy thing. And then, of course, like, if you like this book, I'm not actually calling you an edgelord. If you're one of those people who reads this book and is like, this wasn't edgy at all. Yeah, we get it. You're an edgelord. It's like Serbian film. Yeah, exactly. If you don't know what that is, do not Google it or watch it. Please don't Google it. Please don't watch it. I've not watched it. I've not Googled it. Max told me about it. You haven't watched it, right? No. Okay. Yeah. No. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Anyway, I've ranted enough. Let's get to it. So our story opens with Barbara. She's lovely. We know this from the blurb. She is virginal and pure, but she's also a little bit naughty. She's showing just enough leg at church that is pointed out by the author, just so we know. She's wearing virginal white, but she's showing some leg. I mean, at least she's 20, though, right? I know. Exactly. One more year and she's practically dead. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Anyway, uh, she's, quote, downy and beautiful. I don't know, like, is she covered in fur? (laughs) Downy. D-O-W-N-Y. Yeah, okay. Maybe she just looks like, maybe she's got that, like, Drag Race season one filter on, so she looks kind of fuzzy. Everything's a little boring. Yeah. Not sure where we're going with that. Anyway, so she is the, like, babysitter slash temporary nanny for Bobby and Cindy, Bobby and Cindy's parents are in Europe. So they hired a random college kid that they didn't know. Barbara. That's fair. Um, to take care of them. Barbara is an education major, but she totally notes that really what she's waiting for is a man. I mean, aren't we all? Well, you're not anymore. <laughs> but at that age, actually at that age, that is not what I was waiting for. You were waiting for your Dark Lord Satan. At 20? Yeah, probably, pretty much. Anyway, so we get the scene of her taking them to church and playing Little Miss Housewife. And the next morning she wakes up tied to the bed and gagged. How old are these kids? I'm sorry. You can give me an age group. Cindy is like 9 or 10 and Bobby is like 12. Okay. They chloroformed her. How the who the fuck gave these kids chloroform? Their dad's a doctor, and these kids just know how to use chloroform. Apparently, oh, these must be some latchkey kids. Well, clearly their parents went to Europe and left them with a twenty-year-old they've never met. Jeez. So our perspective shifts a lot between her and the kids. Barbara is having trouble thinking because, as a woman, she struggles with thinking. <laughs> Like, she literally thinks about how hard thinking is for her. (laughs) I would say that's ridiculous, but sometimes I have those moments. I'm just like, God, thinking. Yeah, but she's 
she's just like, oh, I've never been a thinker. <laughs> of course she has. It's just so hard for me to think. Oh, God. Cindy, who is our youngest character and like eight or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, she is described as being manipulative, quote, quote, tempting and setting female snares. The fuck does that mean? I don't know. Can we just not with a child? <laughs> the fuck is a female snare? To be completely honest with you. Okay, so here's the thing. The intro by Grady Hendrix talks about interviews with the author's like children and how they don't say anything about him being like a super racist woman hating person. There is a bookstagrammer whose handle is Mother Horror. I have a huge platonic crush on Mother Horror. She does like reviews and writes for magazines and runs a subscription, like a subscription box sure. of horror. She does not sponsor us if she wanted to. Uh, that'd be cool. <laughs> um, I think she's amazing and I love everything that she does. She recorded an episode for a podcast where they talk about this book like a year ago. I waited to listen to it until after I'd written this script because I didn't want to like be super influenced. But they talk in there about reading interviews with other people who say that this guy was just like awful. Yeah. Like super racist, hated women. I mean, we're not far into this and already that seems pretty on the nose to me. Pretty clear. But yeah, Mother Horror is great. Anyway. uh, Back to her Vagina's flytrap. God. (laughs) So we're soon joined by John, Diane, and Paul. John is the oldest. He's like 17, I think. And he's like the jock next door type. And he really likes that Barbara is tied up and gagged because he sees it as her rightful feminine submissive place. Yes, that is actually what he thinks. Hmm. Like almost verbatim. Um, Diane is bookish and she's like snippy. She's kind of a bitch, but of course she is because she's not pretty. So being shrill is her only option, which I'm paraphrasing, but that fact is actually mentioned as a reason for her bad attitude. Like she's mean because she's not pretty. Same girl. Except you are pretty. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Um, Paul is your, oh God. Uh Uh-oh. Paul is her younger brother, and he likes feet. You know what? We don't kink shame on Second to Die. He's like 14. Can we just not with kids? Yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily like to talk about underage kids, but, you know. Actually, I feel like we talk about it all the time. It's been a very long time since we've done a pedophilia story, but I feel like it used to come up all the fucking time. Yeah, I started avoiding them. Mm, But they found you. They found me. (laughs) Um, there's not like super blatant. There's like, is this integral to the story at all? Or do they just make this 14 year old kid have a foot fetish? It literally never comes up again. He literally, he like walks in, sees her tied to the bed and he's like, I like a pretty pair of feet. These old timey authors, something was going on in their heads. Yeah. It's. And I mean, this is what, what year is this? Oh, I didn't. Because this, to me, doesn't sound like racisms and milkshakes. This sounds like 1980s. Oh, yeah. I forgot that it was written in 1974. Okay. Also, during this part, Paul contemplates how hard he has it because he's just like, 
bursting with this intense intelligence and he doesn't have anywhere to funnel it. So it makes him awkward and twitchy. Okay. But no one understands him because he's just really smart. He's just like so smart. I think that's like actually pretty common in like uh, psychopaths. It sounds about to right. To think that you're smarter than everyone else. Paul also likes to torture. Cindy tells us this. The eight-year-old. Who sets feminine snares. Okay. So pretty soon after, while John is taking his shift, keeping an eye on Barbara, because the kids take turns keeping an eye on her, um, she decides that it's all an erotic game. So she employs her alter ego, sexy Barbara. <laughs> oh, Barbara. And Max and Gentle Listener, you might be thinking to yourself, but Cole, I thought you said you weren't making any jokes. Sexy Barbara? Really? That seems in poor taste. Well, worry not. She's gays and days. That's in the book. <laughs> Sexy Barbara is a character. I'm just the messenger. But she tries to be seductive. She flutters her eyes and she talks in a whispery voice and she pushes out her breasts. But she does take the time to lament that her breasts aren't bigger. <laughs> she really is like, oh, I wish they were bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bobby is like, I'm bored. So Paul suggests torturing her to pass the time. So we all know where this is going. Oh, boy. So the kids strip Barbara of her humanity during the course of this book. For example, one of the rules is whoever is on watch gets to decide how they want her tied down. Like if she's on the bed or in a chair. They also decide if she has a gag in... They keep her tied up while she's eating. Like, they give her very limited mobility for eating. It's very much almost like they turn her into this living doll. Like, she's literally objectified Mm -hmm. in this. This leaves her vulnerable to Paul, who takes out a knife and revels in watching her shrink away in fear. And then he drags it all over her body for an hour. Like, he doesn't cut her. He just, like, makes her think he will for an hour because he likes watching her terror. John, as I'm sure we can all predict, uses his shift to rape her. It is mercifully a fade to black sort of scene. Does that make it better that it's included? No, but at least I didn't have to read graphic detail. We really don't have to interact with it directly. We do, however, have to deal with her thoughts after. Thoughts including how she is now completely worthless because she's no longer a virgin. Her words, not mine. Virginity is a social construct used to control women. There's also a huge anti-abortion rant. Yikes. Where she's like, he didn't use protection. What if I'm pregnant? I really need to be able to go and douche. Spoiler alert for those of you who did not have good sex education, which I didn't. I got mine in the deep south, but I know how to research. Um, Douching after sex does not prevent you from getting pregnant. But this was 1974 and a man wrote this. So whatever. Oh God. Okay. Also, she thinks about how if it was her destiny to be raped, she feels lucky that it was John. Oh my God. Because uh, to be honest with you, I don't know why. I know that, like, she gives a reason. I genuinely can't remember. I literally went into blind rage at that point, and I have no desire to look back. So I'm sorry, gentle listener. Jeez. 
to go back to the episode of the podcast that Mother Horror recorded, I think she said that that was when she stopped reading. She didn't finish the book. She couldn't. Interesting. I think she said that that's when she tapped out. So here is the point where the book introduces migrant workers. (laughs) The book calls them pickers. Because they work on the local farms during picking season. Mm-hmm. I looked around online. I didn't find anything that explicitly states that picker is a racial slur for migrant workers. But it certainly feels weird to say. So we're not going to do that. And I'm just going to stick with migrant workers. Reducing the workers to the work they do isn't the only part that this book really hits us with. I'm going to read a passage to you real quick. Quick side note, this in no way reflects my opinions or the opinions of Second to Die or Max's opinions. I also do not read this as a, hey, hey, listen, how shocking. I just want y'all to understand why I hated this book so much. Here's our quote. They were dark Latin people with oily, shiny skin, dark, luminous eyes, heavy faces, and volatile natures. Their futures were also hopeless. If Bobby had had the ability to phrase his opinion, he would have called them slaves to his parents and his group. Yeah, I mean, this sounds about white for the 70s. Yep, sounds about white. So, the book prattles along with various indignities and tortures. At one point, they cut off all of her clothes. Like, uh... um, It drags. It's not well written. I... Not that that would necessarily, like, fix the fact that this book is horrifying but it was it's just also just not good there's literally a point in my notes where i wrote i'm sorry did this author have a word minimum (laughs) so eventually the kids realize that there really isn't any way to get out of trouble in this situation parents will be back in a few days they've been torturing barbara for several days at this point um so they discuss killing her And blaming it on a migrant worker. Oh, of course. What a great idea. It's so shocking that even they hesitate. (laughs) But Paul gets upset by the fact that they're hesitating and runs headfirst into a wall in protest. Like, literally, he just gets really mad, screeches, and then runs into a wall. Okay. Just like Naruto run (laughs) straight into a wall. And that's when they're like, okay, fine, fine. We'll do it, Paul. We must protect the white boy. What they end up deciding to do is they will have a migrant worker come and do some work in a tenant house that's on the Adams's property so that his DNA will be in it. Then they'll kill Barbara out by the tenant house. Then they'll kill the migrant worker. Bobby and Cindy will be in a closet in the house and they will be discovered by John and company. And they'll say that a migrant worker put them in there and kidnapped Barbara. They'll go down to the tenant house where they'll find poor Barbara. And then in their version of the story, the migrant worker attacked them. So what could they do except kill him? Except they're also just like killing him. Right. So the night before putting the plan into motion... Barbara gets a chance to talk to most of the kids and no one can really give a reason why it's very much a like, because we can, because we were bored, because we're fighting against the restraints of childhood, all of that. Bobby is the only one who seems really uncomfortable with it all. 
And here's the part where I almost had to stop reading. Uh Uh-oh. Except it was like 10 pages from the end. So I was like, I'm just going to do it. I said I wouldn't do this, but I'm going to go ahead. Content warning. If this has been stressful for you, you might want to just stop. John rapes her again. And this time we get like a two-page scene Mm. of it. And buckle up. So first of all, as he's preparing to do it, she's like, maybe I'll like it this time. Oh, Because I'm not a virgin anymore. Well, she was right. Because even though she's scared and is thinking about how much she didn't want it, it just feels so good. And she can't help but have an earth-shattering orgasm. Then, immediately after, she asks him why they have to kill her. And John says he doesn't know. So she just squeezes him out of her vagina. What? Like, does a Kegel and shoves his dick out. That's okay. not, that's not okay. how that works. So, I'm going to rant for a minute. I'm sure it goes without saying, I hate this scene so, so much. It perpetuates both the belief that someone could be saying no, but they're secretly enjoying it, which I don't have words for that. I can't. Can't even acknowledge it. Also, the whole vagina squeezing bit also carries the heavy implication that if she truly didn't want it, she'd just have squeezed him out. So she must have secretly wanted it. I hate it. I hate this so much. Mm, It's very Republican. Hold on to that thought. Oh, God. Oh, and to add one last bit, she employs sexy Barbara to ask, like, post-rape John if he'll let her go. And he says no. And then she just gets so scared that she wets herself. I was totally, to be honest with you, halfway through this, I was going to be like, if there is not a Barbara wetting herself scene in this book, I will be 100% shocked. I was going to bring it up, but then I was like, nah, don't even mention it. And I was just waiting to see, and I had actually forgotten about it until you just said that. Which, gentle listener, if you're new here, um, many, many episodes ago, by coincidence, I read like three books in a row where when a woman got scared, she just spontaneously wet herself. And it's always done in this like weirdly sexualized, like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I just couldn't help it. And I hate it. Yeah, it's gross. Not pee is not gross. It's gross to do that, to like write that that type of scene Also, don't, in that manner. Don't sexualize women's terror. It's not good. No. The rest of the story wraps up relatively quickly from here. The kids torture and kill Barbara by chaining her to a fence and using a hot poker. I was thinking she might get away. Oh, no. No. Oh. There is no happy ending to this oh. book. It's just... Yeah, no. Um, And they don't even, like, stab her at first. They, like, heat up the poker and then long ways press it against the soles of her feet um, to torture her. And she has her final dehumanization because as the kids are killing her, they stop thinking of her as Barbara and literally start thinking of her as the unknown victim. Like, that's the wording in their, their, like, stream of consciousness. So they no longer see her as Barbara or as a person. They're just like this thing that they're doing it to. So they blame it on the migrant worker who is already dead because they kill him, obviously. And everyone gets away with it and moves on. The end. Mm. Like that's literally it. Like the kids just get away with it. Okay, then. So breaking down the book further. I'm not going to take this book and say the author is racist and misogynistic, but that is kind of what we are having thrown in our faces. 
I do try and separate art from the artist to an extent. That's why I will always cherish Harry Potter, but I am also aware that she who must not be respected is turf trash. There were a couple of parts in the forward of this book that I wanted to mention. So I mentioned earlier that Grady Hendrix did the forward for this book. And in it, he says that Johnson, the author, wrote this book as a metaphor of sorts. The parents are absent and seemingly uncaring of what is happening at home. They represent liberals. (laughs) Barbara, with her purity and tradition, represents conservatives. And the children represent, quote, the great silent American majority. So yeah, that's a lot to grapple with. He's basically implying that, like, because liberals won't do anything, middle America is going to destroy our, like, virginal tradition. Okay. I have no comment on that. Yeah. No, this isn't a political podcast, but you can take with that what you will. Johnson also stated in an interview before his death that writing this book drove him to drinking because he struggled so much with killing Barbara. He felt he couldn't save her and save the story at the same time. It was all for this book, to which I retort, why? Trust me, it didn't save the book. Nothing could have saved this book. Also... Just because you, Amara, can write something like this doesn't mean you, Amara, should. I mean, nobody forced him to write this book. What is he bitching about? Well, he's not bitching anymore. He died two years later of liver failure because he drank so much. Well, I mean, that is what it is, but that's that's kind of a cop-out. Yep. I didn't mean to... I really struggled writing this horrific thing, you know, like... I mean, I don't know. Whatever. Let's move on. So... I don't even really feel like making a cute joke out of my rating because of how unpleasant this was. I'm giving this book one out of five stars. No jokes. Okay. No jokes. Well, what would I make a joke of? No, I'm totally fine with that. One out of five hot pokers pressed to the sole of her foot. Mm. Yeah. No, it doesn't quite have a good ring to it. To be clear, and I, in case... It was lost in my ranting and my rambling, gentle listener. It's not that I did not like this book because of its intensity. I did not like it because of the depth of the misogyny in the themes. And also, it was just not well written. Like, if it were really well written, I would have given it a slightly higher rating. But I'm just not. That said, honestly, I had been planning on saying that this was zero out of five stars and just never add a rating on our Goodreads page Ah. for it. That's how much I didn't like it. However, the day after I finished this book, I was at work and one of my coworkers asked if I was okay because I seemed unfocused and quiet. And that was when I realized how much this book had affected me. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't traumatized. I was just exhausted. Reading this book was such an arduous experience, and I've had very few books have that strong of an impact on me, whether it was a good impact or a bad impact, so I'm giving it the one star. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, that's Let's Go Play at the Atoms. I mean, I feel like it's, um, I don't feel like asking if you die in it is really like, not appropriate, but I just don't feel like, I already feel like it's kind of just gonna be a no answer but i'll still ask because we ask every episode if you would die in it honestly i'm not sure how to decide if i would or not maybe they literally chloroform her and tie her down like she's helpless for the entire book it's kind of hard to fight back yeah 
Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it seems like a, it's a weird book to ask that question in. I don't know. That said, at the age of 20, I was far from a virgin, so I would not be a good metaphor. <laughs> no, well. Would you die in All Cheerleaders Must Die? I guess it depends on which role I was in. I you mean, would obviously be the gothy one. Be the gothy witchy friend. In that case, no, because she doesn't die. And I definitely would not be like a football player because that was 100% not me in high school. So I'm going to probably say no because, yeah, I'd probably be like the gothy witchy one. So, yeah. That just reminds me. Quick anecdote because I feel like I should tell a funny story in order to alleviate this. I was helping a patron today find an article that was in the newspaper back in the 80s where he had made some accomplishment on his high school football team. And I was searching by his name and I found an article in the period of time he thought it was from. And I pulled it up and I was like, is that you? And he's like, no, that's a pro football player. And I just looked at him and I was like, sir, I know so little about sports (laughs) that that means nothing to me. So I'm just going to have to keep opening these articles until we found you. (laughs) We did find it because I'm an amazing librarian, but that's beside the point. Anyway. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Goodreads at Second to Die Pod. You can also email us questions, comments, concerns at secondtodiepod at gmail.com or directly on Instagram. And remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die.